It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. You don't smoke. I used to. I Me too. I did. I learned as a uh, caddy at South Bend Country Club when I was thirteen. I pulled a Clinton. I didn't inhale. <laughs> And then I, uh, and then when I was 21, I got out of school and I thought they're smoking in the newsroom. This is back. And, and our general manager at the TV station, the small TV station had ashtrays bolted to the, uh, the walls. Sure. And so you could walk through the TV station smoke. So I said, well, I have to do that. Yeah. So I smoked for a full year, like an idiot. And then just said, I'm, I'm done. So and that's my story. Did your uh, parents smoke? Uh, my mother smoked 65 years. Uh, kicked the habit. Very proud of her. And she did not die of lung cancer. Uh, and my dad smoked up until 51 and he quit drinking and smoking cold turkey 40 years ago. Actually, yesterday, because yesterday was his 91st birthday and he's driving and doing great. So we did. My, and my parents, uh, my sister's brothers didn't smoke. No. Now, well, we, we always have to define the show again by our age of 59. And we grew up in the 60s and 70s where everybody smoked. On Johnny Carson, they smoked all the time. In airplanes, they smoked. In restaurants, they smoked. The uh, smoking and my smoking family, section. Yeah, that I was hilarious. From, I come airplane. from uh, Ohio farmers. My father has, uh, and I'm glad our guest is here and I see he brought some because I'm I'm going to try to steal a couple. My father has been a career lifetime cigar smoker and smoked a pipe, even would have his red man going when he worked in the yard and worked on the farm. He's, we've got him to kick that part. Did but, he have uh, the red man and smoke at the same time? He could, Did he double dip kind of thing? Nicotine fuel. Is that right? All the Those time. Teeth, but, the, the dentist is like, but even you're going to keep uh, me employed. Even in my radio era, the guys before me would have an ashtray just sitting right by the mic. So the room is filled with smoke. Yeah. Uh, I fly planes for a living. And, you know, in those days, there was an ashtray in the cockpit. And <laughs> you the, were encouraged. The nicotine is horrendous for flight instruments. You, you know, you see people's windshields and what they look like yeah. when they smoke in their car and the room turns yellow. Well, that hap that cakes uh, enormous cost. But uh, I didn't, you know, I don't know. Uh, smoking, I'm not saying it was glamorous or great at one time, but it was just part of life. And um, the cigar smoke is, I, I smell a cigar now. I just think of my dad. My dad's 85, alive and great, plays golf a couple times a week, but I don't know what it is about the cigar. I like the smell of a cigar. I've tried it and and I'm not, uh, and maybe after today's guest, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try again and be encouraged and all that. I, I have nothing against it. I, it smells great. So we should all three of us fire it up in this small room right now. That Let's would be great. That just smoke out Justin, <laughs> our producer. Hey, hit it. <laughs> Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. And it stops once again on, oh, it's Tim Osgener, who is the uh, CEO, founder of Osgener Family Cigars, a good friend of of mine through the years. Through We met through Ben Handbeck, uh, friends of Ben, right? Isn't that how that works? <laughs> Everyone Tim, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for being on, guys. I enjoyed hearing that. And actually, I bought a bunch of those Dean Martin roast videos, you know, where there's yeah. smoking oh, the yeah. cigarettes. And, I mean, like, 
you know, I was one of those suckers that bought in on like, you know, the 1999 or whatever to get like a different tape. The three in the morning. Don Wrinkles. I mean, you know, how do you compete with that? Dean Martin. Uh, yeah, who is that? Red right. Skelton was on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they, like Ronald Reagan was roasted one oh, time. Oh, yeah. And I watched yeah. all that. I get stuck hilarious. on that. Yeah, they are funny. You kept but someone employed at the Time Life series, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're all smoking cigarettes. But I mean, you know, when you say smoking, I, I always think of like cigars is different than that. Because I do too. Here we go. You know, with, Here with, we go. with cigarettes, it's about <laughs> nicotine delivery. And with cigars, you're not supposed to inhale them into your lungs. It's more about the flavor and the experience of the flavor, the max you know, potential you could get out of every leaf of cigar tobacco and how it tastes. I have yeah, a, so. I have an addictive personality. I'm in, I'm going to start smoking cigars. <laughs> it took less than two minutes That's it. of your, this was good. That was good. By the way, Tim, you have, I want to get to this right away. Uh, uh, you grew up in Southern California, I believe, right? No, no, no. I grew up here in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to college at USC. How does that happen? Well, I mean, I, you had to go to somewhere. Well, no, I, want, I, no, I wanted to go there to actually, I, I auditioned to get into USC's uh, acting school, which was part of like their film program. And I uh, was, you know, ranked number three in the country. My father being Armenian is like, how can you make a living doing that? <laughs> I said, listen, if I audition and get into a competitive school, will you support me? He's like, well, I guess so. That means you must have a iota of talent, I guess. So. <laughs> You so did stand up. Wager. It was nice. Go ahead. No, so then I, I went to USC yeah. to get my Bachelor of Fine Arts with an emphasis more around like, you know, performing arts and that kind of stuff. And then did you not try to make it as a stand-up comic? I mean, no. Or is that, or is I, that fell into it is by, it? I fell into it by accident. I mean, I was, I was a, uh, you know, I wanted to be an actor, but, you know, I'm doing acting in LA and I had this, you know, these great teachers and then they were like, Tim, you're really good, but you're losing your hair. Why don't you go and do like, <laughs> you're really funny. Go and do some comedy and then maybe you'll get some like character parts and stuff like this. So I said, all right, well, you know, let me listen to these guys. These guys are successful. So then I, you know, I got into improv comedy and uh, at this school called the Groundlings where they trained, yeah, you know, perfect. like uh, um, uh, Will Ferrell and people like that came out of there. And then uh, a buddy of mine there said, I think you'd be good at stand-up. So then I got into stand-up and, and so it was by accident. Do you have that? Give you, you still have to have a couple in your pocket from the stand-up days. I mean, mainly my stand-up thing out. was like, yeah, it, doing his dad there. is pretty good. You have I would couple? imitate my dad all the time. Okay. And it'd be like, you know, it's really hard being raised, you know, Turkish Armenian in Nashville, Tennessee. And I would do these things like in Armenia, you know, you can never get it right with your Armenian father, you know, or it's like, you know, when I was young growing up, I did that. I need like, you know, I need some money for cleats and a soccer ball. And it's like, cleats and a soccer ball. <laughs> young man, when I was your age, we had no cleats. <laughs> we played in an alley on the dirt over broken glass and with a ping pong ball. We had no cleats and a soccer. What kind of bullshit is this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dad, I need I need money to buy underwear. Underwear. I mean, when I was your age, I wore. Burlap. I mean, anyway, no, I know what the joke was. The joke was like, can you imagine if my dad was Gandhi's dad? <laughs> I need some money for him. You know, son, I have walked the streets of India, starving, bald, and with a diaper. You know, like, what do you mean? I need money for clothing. <laughs> 
that's kind of bullshit. <laughs> you're still as relevant uh, as can be right now. Right. You, could, you got it. Why didn't this I work mean, out? Or maybe you did. Maybe you no, chose no, no, to. No, it was. I was doing okay. it, and I was actually most of the time. You know, it depends on who, you know. You do. I see how it is. It depends on who your audience is. I mean, if you're in front of the appropriate audience for your particular style of humidor, your work, and then uh, your humor. <laughs> your humidor. And, uh, no, but then <laughs> that's speaking Freudian of, slip. Of, so during, <laughs> during the day, I was visiting cigar stores, and at night, I was doing all this stuff. And um, But then, like, I, I started to develop, because in comedy, you want to get a reaction from people, right? You want people to laugh, ideally. But it's the same thing with marketing or with cigars. With cigars, you want to get people to say, oh, this is really good, right? So I ended up, like, uh, understanding how to develop cigars that made people say that. And then that, that worked immediately. So rather than me having to go and um, wait in line to get eight minutes at freaking coconut teasers on Sunset Boulevard, I mean, I could develop a cigar and all of a sudden, like it's selling like, like, you know what I mean? Like sure. it sells immediately. And it's, a, it's, it's less of a grind, you know, just, you know, physically, emotionally and everything. And, and it's creative and you can see immediate return from that as opposed to kind of having to grind away in the in, in, in the entertainment industry, so to speak. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. Tim, uh, this you, you kind of have one handoff to another here in your life. And, uh, you know, we've only been in the same room 15 minutes with you, you. You've got what it takes for comedy. Your USC days, you're still wearing on your sleeve with your creativity. And that's what's launched one of your major assets here is uh, the Oz Arts Center in West Nashville over by the John Toon Airport. Yeah. Just tremendous. And we'll talk a little bit later about some of the shows you have coming up. I think you should do... Uh, 10 minutes in front of every show that comes <laughs> because it's your house. Uh, why not? We talk about a fork in the road. What was something that affected your life? Maybe it was going from Nashville to USC or USC here, or you getting in the cigar business or comedy. What was the fork in the road that kind of gave you a turn that sent you in another direction? Well, it's a great question. And I guess there, are, uh, there have been a lot of them for me, but mm -hmm. there have been a lot probably in everybody's lives. But, um, you know, I guess one of them, if you wanted to talk about like, going from uh, uh, moving from LA to Nashville, what was the fork in that road that that happened there? Um, you know, I think it was it was just, you know, we started developing these well, you know, with this groundling school, it's it's a it's a training ground, but it's very, very difficult to become an actual kind of groundling, which is 28 people in this group. But if you're in this group, you're performing like, you know, on the weekends and people come and see you. And that's how you can get into something like a Saturday Night Live or a TV show and stuff like this. But when you go through the program, they tell you, look, don't go through the program to get into this group. Because the only way you get into the group is if somebody from the group voluntarily leaves, which doesn't happen unless <laughs> they get on a TV show, basically. Right. So when I went through that, I, I sort of ignored that. And I was like, well, of course, I'm going to work my ass off and get in. But then when it didn't work out like that, then I was like devastated because... I didn't think that would happen. But, you know, then I, f I noticed that the stuff I was doing with cigars at the same time was like popping. And so instead of me going from like L.A. to Central America to Nashville and back, that was pretty exhausting in and of itself. This is around 99 and, and 1999. Nashville was 
really kind of, you could feel Nashville growing because of the Titans and the Predators coming. That was a big impact. And so then I said, well, why don't I just move to Nashville? Life just felt easier uh, and more pleasurable in Nashville as opposed to at the time, you know, in L.A. So that that would be my fork in the road, I'd nice. say. And, and tell us, <clears throat> you really got a, a start and and uh, and with your father. You're very close to your father. W- w- wonderful man uh, who passed a, a few years ago. But, man, did I, did I have a pleasure to meet him. He had such a kind spirit, funny, lit up a room, uh, but also lit up cigars with CAO. What's the story behind starting that? Well, you know, CAO were his initials. He loved Meerschaum pipes. Uh, he didn't like the way these pipes were. Meerschaum pipe is a, it's a mineral that's like a small crustacea that forms into this porous stone. And, uh, and he was an engineer at DuPont at the time, mm-hmm. not far from the studio here. And uh, so, but he was analyzing microfibers, but usually with pipes, he would just shove in and pull out the stem. And my father thought with this fragile pipe, if you shove in and pull out the stem, it'll cause it to crack, you know, where the, where the shank of the pipe is. So he's like, well, this is a terrible engineering. I will do it myself. And so he, he redid the, this stem that you could twist it in and twist it out utilizing microfibers. And then people started, uh, found out about it, started calling our house, said, Hey, uh, we heard you have this new engineered stem on these pipes. Uh, can you carve your initials on the pipes and send them to us? And his initials were CAO. So, you know, Jano, first name is Armenian. It's spelled C-A-N-O, but it's pronounced Jano, which means here in Nashville, everybody pronounces it Kano. Kano. So, <laughs> hey, that's Kano. Kano, when are you going to play some tennis, boy? <laughs> you play a lot of tennis. So... <laughs> I'm going to kick Kano's ass today. <laughs> but, uh, there we are, PG-13. Anyway, good. sorry. No. But, but anyway, so then um, that's how we got the name CAO. And then we, like, you know, became known for, like, high-quality pipes and then humidors and then eventually cigars. That's tremendous. Our fathers have to know each other. My dad, 50-year DuPont guy. Probably. Uh, he was a mechanical engineer. Yeah, my dad was a mechanical engineer. Oh, we got Holy you. smokes. They know each other. Yeah. You know, except my father was there around, I would say, um, you know, so he must have been there 1968 until 1978. Because we moved here in 78. Okay. Well, so he was, my dad was in, we moved from Wilmington, Delaware. He was up mm-hmm. at headquarters and they mm-hmm. moved him down here. He's a, a mechanical engineer and became a consultant down here. And, uh, you know, he was on the ground floor of Tyvek and Kevlar yeah. and just, you know, made that company billions of dollars. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, but he is a career, as I was saying, pipe smoker and cigar. They would have been best friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. My father like was there from 68 to 78 and 78, he left there to get into the business because he started CAO as like kind of a part-time thing from the basement of our house. And then when he left DuPont, we're, we still operated the company from the basement of our house for forever. We had to move into, we, we are paying no rent. So we, we then moved to a place that was close by. I don't know why yeah. it's funny. I love this dad. Uh, I, just, I, mean, I hope you break into said. that in the office every other half hour. They, they have got to love it. So what, what did you learn uh, building this business and seeing your father do it uh, firsthand and 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 you sold it uh, in uh, 2007. Yeah, and, and I mean, but it was big and it was uh, international. Um, just talk about building. You know, we we like to focus on Nashville centric businesses, lessons learned. 
yeah. coming back, failures. Yeah. What, 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 were there tough times or did this thing just pop and no, just it, sold a bunch of, yeah, bunch no, of no, it did. When we first came out with our first cigar, that was not successful. I mean, it was, um, it was at the time that, well, in the early 90s, you had Cigar Aficionado come out and then all these celebrities were smoking cigars. Yeah, I remember then, that. There was a place made, down on Second Avenue. Hey, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Have, was it Havana Club? Havana, Havana, Havana Club, Club or something Havana, like that. That you would Havana Lounge, I think. And it, yeah, and yeah, and Havana it, Lounge. It got to be like kind of cool, kind of chic to go yeah. up there and smoke. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. It did so that because of all that exposure, all these yeah. celebrities started smoking, and you know, we got our first cigar line was in 1994. At that time, cigars were were super hot, and uh, the manufacturers weren't ready for that demand. So mm -hmm. what would happen is, is if I went and bought a cigar from you, John, and you had a, uh, a factory, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to take the business just because, you know, I've been in lean times and now times are hot, but I mean, I'm going to, uh, there, there was no consistency of product. You know, instead of the cigar looking like beige, it would look one box would be beige and next box would be green. So if you have boxes, uh, inconsistent looking product on the shelves that affects, you know, what people perceive of you justifiably, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to say, oh, this, there's no product consistency. So our product struggled for years between like 94 to, to 98. We didn't really hit it until 98 uh, with, with a cigar that was a big hit. And that cigar was produced in Costa Rica and it was a Maduro cigar, darker cigar, but it was very, very good from a, you know, more boutique manufacturer who was making really good cigars. And, from that point on, then it kind of took off. But what I learned from that whole experience is that, uh, you know, you just got to like be yourself, build good relationships, listen and respond to people and just continually try to come up with something that satisfies your market. Is what's so the, the brand that you have out now is titled? Now it's called, you know, it's called Oz Family Cigars. Okay. I mean, you know, we call it, you know, really the symbol is Oz. A lot of people can't pronounce Oskander, so we just like we don't care. We're like whatever. <laughs> I asked you the Oz. other day. I've known you for ten years, and I'm like, yeah. am I have I screwed it up the whole time? No, no, you got it right. I got it but right. I mean, I would just say people can call it Oskander or Oz Family Cigars. It doesn't matter to us. But uh, uh, that's the that's the new brand, and it kind of goes through like our family heritage. And isn't it interesting around Nashville? There's several cigar bars. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I've traveled around to different markets, and you know, definitely places that you can go and smoke cigars and enjoy cigars with, you know, something to pair it with is, you know, people love that. So yeah, there are a number of places, some that are private, some that are, that are not private in Nashville that you can go to. So what is the essence of, of you had talked about, it's not about inhaling. And I didn't know that. Maybe that, no, that maybe that's that I, your problem. Well, that's not, I didn't get the, I didn't get the one one I'm, you know, I didn't, I just went dove in and I just, <laughs> You know, and I went, well, no, this no, is no, this no. is not going to go well. You kept sounding like AM radio yeah, the yeah. next morning. <laughs> what happened to my voice? So, and, you know, I've played golf with you occasionally, and, and you always, you know, light one up between 6 and 17 or something like that. <laughs> Sometimes two. I think you did a two, two uh, cigar day the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, that was, uh, but so, so what is the, um, what is the allure? Can it be addictive? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, I mean, I don't think so to me, you know, because, uh, um, the whole point of cigars is really more about the flavor than it is about the nicotine delivery, like I was saying mm -hmm. earlier. Um, you know, the point of, of uh, cigarettes is is the nicotine buzz. Yeah, and therefore, if you inhale it, then you get more of that kind of effect. Um, with cigars, you're not supposed to inhale them into your lungs. You're supposed to pull them back to the back of your palate and then, you know, kind of get a sense of the flavor and then blow it out. 
you know, sometimes you have this thing where you can blow them out of your nose too, that people call retrohaling. When you think of, you know, your, uh, you think of kind of like the back of your throat pushing up, you know, the smoke through your nose. So you get a little bit of a tingle with that or your palate. It's a great party the... trick too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I your wife you... would love that, John. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, my, my wife has occasionally smoked this. I think it's sexy. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you have, I mean it, when you see a woman smoke a cigar, you guys got any, am I just, don't leave me hanging here on an island. It doesn't do nothing for you. I I think that you're like an Instagram troll. (laughs) (laughs) Were you at a bowling alley? I mean, you know, what what are you following on Instagram? (laughs) It's cool, man. Is this a Bill Clinton story? (laughs) Oh, wrong end. (laughs) Well, uh, Tim, let's, let's switch gears real quick to how the Oz Arts Center came together. Out of all this story, you have some major production. Uh, Describe Oz Arts. It's, it's, you know, I've, I've got it in my head. It's a, it's a beautiful setting in uh, West Nashville. And some of the shows that you have coming are, uh, are quite impressive. Well, we, um, you know, when we sold CAO, uh, you know, we kept the company that acquired us, kept the business over there for another four years. And then they merged with the company in Richmond, Virginia. So when they moved, my father and I uh, were inspired by all these other contemporary art centers that we saw in, you know, Miami or Brooklyn or L.A. or wherever. And they were bringing all of these more contemporary uh, avant-garde artists to those cities that it wasn't happening as much in Nashville or in the southeast. So we said, uh, well, well, and a lot of them were converted warehouses. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, we have a warehouse. Why don't we convert it like we've seen in for example, Miami or Wynwood area in Miami, and uh, bring some avant-garde artists to Nashville. Now, we wanted it to be both uh, performing arts and visual arts. You know, we're a destination. So, I mean, visual arts is very, very expensive out of the gate. So we're like, well, why don't we start with uh, performing arts? So that's what we bring. We bring like avant-garde, you know, you will not know any of the artists that we're bringing. Typically. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm going to read but, some of the. Uh, but no, you're not going to know them because it's not going to be like we we're good we're good in Nashville at bringing in name performers that are you know particularly in music, but you know we bring in multi-genre meaning one month it might be dance, the next month it might be theater, the next month it might be music, for example. So that's what we do is we have an artistic director who is also our executive director. And he's bringing in artists coming up from the Ukraine. He's bringing them from like Tunisia. He's bringing them from, uh, you know, a DJ from Montreal, which I'm pretty excited about because he does these micro sets. It's almost like you're watching a movie being created, almost like an anime movie with all of these small sets that have like filmmakers that are filming it while you have a DJ in the background and a string quartet. And it's being, you know, you can watch them doing it or you can watch it on the screen real time. So it's stuff that you would typically not see in, you know, Nashville. And this is, there's also the component of uh, your philanthropic side of this is a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit. Yeah, correct. Thanks for saying that, John. The other thing we'd like oh, to You we'd think like I was going to bury that, you know, running yeah, a nonprofit? You know that. <laughs> we, we like to bring these, um, these artists to kids that have had their arts programming cut um, or they've never had access to the arts. And, and the reason we think that my mom was a, professor of early childhood development. She was a a Fulbright scholar and she was a professor at TSU training teachers to go and be teachers in these Mm. uh, title one schools. And, um, she always felt like kids, uh, having, uh, uh, access to creativity 
helps them whether they become an accountant or whether they become an artist. It helps them with innovative thinking, and our country is known for thinking outside the box, so we like to cultivate that. Absolutely. I had to learn in Delaware uh, in the 70s, you had to learn an instrument in third grade. Yeah. You had no mm-hmm. choice. So did I. And I picked French horn. Well, that was already oh, wow. taken, but that's how that's I ended hard. up being the drums. Drums weren't taken, and that changed my life that day, little did I know. Uh, but I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And uh, last, geez, I think, was it year, a year ago or two years ago, the tornado came through? Um, so March 3rd, 2020. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm at John Toon Airport a lot, which is right yeah. next to you. That's right. And it was totally decimated. Yeah. Billion plus uh, aircraft, beautiful, just absolutely destroyed. And it came right by your place, oh, but yeah. you survived. It missed us. We were, it was unbelievable. It was. And I, I, you know, I drove back there the next day or two, uh, buildings. I mean, we're talking scarred to the cement concrete. The one building as you're, you know, I guess what, as you're looking out here towards the South, was totally wiped off the pad. Yeah. And here's your still standing. I know. Well, we believe that it was uh, uh, the karma or luck of my father that he had a bubble around it, you know, that he, he wasn't alive to see that, fortunately. What would he be saying to that tornado? Hey, what are the hell are you doing? <laughs> Why now? Rapid, 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 I just want to interview Tim's dad right now for the next 10 that minutes. Would be, uh, that see, would be pretty Maybe pretty he could funny. answer as his father. That well, would be great. <laughs> quick questions, just first thing that comes to your mind. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, Tim, uh, what's you've, you've got such a vast background in all your creativity. What do you listen to in music? Oh, in music. I like uh, alternative music. What myself. are you listening to now? Nice. Band, name a band. Or Pearl two. Jam. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. No, I love that, I love that, Pearl Jam. Okay, I love sure. I love Pearl Jam. I love U two. I love yep. you know those are probably my little Kings of Leon thought. thrown in there, no doubt. Radiohead, uh, are you a Radiohead guy? I like I don't like them as much as I do kind of like a Pearl Jam or or okay. U two. I like more not more ballady, more upbeat, and you know what I mean. Sure. Do you listen to CDs still or no? No. Okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> you do Apple and you do the, do the iPod or the MP3 yeah. or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm showing my age. Um, you, dead or alive, you could have a guest or two at dinner. Uh, wh- who would those people be? Um, I would love to have the Dalai Lama, Bono. Um, <laughs> okay. Right, those two yeah. would be dinner guests. Uh, do they know each be? other? No, Winston Churchill. They Wh- Winston Churchill yeah. would be good. That, yeah. that would be a good kind of like trio. Yeah. I can't think of anything. Well, 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 we we know we know Churchill smoked cigars. There you go. So you'd be you'd yeah, be in with them. I'm sure that the Lama could rock a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> you know the Lama, the Lama, heavy, heavy hitter, the Lama, the Dalai Lama, <laughs> the Dalai Lama himself. <laughs> You've had a lot of avenues. Uh, has to be something. What what was one of your biggest failures? Perhaps what did you learn from it? Uh gosh. I don't know. Like one of my biggest failures. Well, I mean, I think that sometimes, I mean, I'm always, my tendency is to like give all you have and then pull back if you need to. Sure. I mean, so I'm not afraid to kind of like go overboard with stuff and then, and then have to pull back because if you pull back sometimes, then you don't see everything that's out there, you know? So I can't, I can't really say that that's a, um, that's a technique that I would recommend for everyone. No, 
<laughs> well, example, well, I hate the word failure. I've done things that haven't worked out. Yeah, but in my yeah. ideas, it was never a failure. It was everything that was right at the time. Uh, but you do also have to have some sense of leadership to say, eh, I think I've exhausted that road. Let's yeah, go in a new yeah. direction. Well, also, there have been people that I've worked with you know, from a manufacturing standpoint for cigars that, you know, didn't work out. And I mean, you know, part of the reason it didn't work out maybe in the end was that, you know, we just didn't have that chemistry or that, I think the trust is a key component too. So I would say that, that when you're working with people or you're involving people in your life, that having a high degree of knowledge and trust with them to see what their uh, uh, morals and integrity are. At first I thought that was like underrated. It's not underrated. It's very important. Yes. You know, because if you work with somebody that doesn't have high integrity or the same morals that you do, then ultimately it doesn't work. Yep. Uh, so you uh, have great life experiences, a wonderful wife. Arnita's fantastic. Great kids. Uh, but what would you tell your 18-year-old self knowing what you know now just about life? Mm. What would be the advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Well, I would probably tell my 18-year-old self maybe to, you know, if you're about to go to college to kind of maybe take some more, uh, you know, nuts and bolts business kind of basics or classes just so that you have a little bit more kind of fleshed out knowledge around the things related to that, you know, even if it's something that you may not be interested, like, for example, um, I probably would have taken a, like an accounting class even though I know I'm not going to be an accountant, you know, uh, and even though that's not necessarily where my strengths lie, just so that I have some sort of more baseline knowledge of things. That's probably what I would tell myself. You that's know? one of the better answers we've had. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Well-rounded. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, he's not doing accounting, but he knows all that goes into you it. You got to know the yeah. numbers. Yeah. yeah. Right. Just so that I have, I mean, you, know, yeah. you just have more of a working knowledge of like, it's almost like when you want to learn a language, you know what I mean? You sure. understand that in, you may not, you may not know all the words that are uh, the French language, for example, but you understand that there's a different way of they, you know, passe, composé, what is that versus imparfait? You know what I mean? Like I have a mm -hmm. general knowledge of what those are the st structural knowledge of those things. So Absolutely. I think that's good. You can talk. That's why I tell my son, you know, as you're not an accountant, but you can talk to an accountant in a way that he'll understand you. And uh, we had a general manager at our radio station and the engineering guy was blowing a bunch of smoke up him about what needed to happen. And he barked back with, here's, here's the problem and here's how you fix it. And the engineer was just sitting there like, how would you know that? He said, my father owned a radio station, you know, Boom. don't undersell yeah. who you're talking to. No. <laughs> well, it's also almost like, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos. I mean, he's not a coder, but he took classes in coding so that yeah. he understood kind of like the baseline stuff, the baseline it. stuff that, upon which, you know, was very handy for his business. I'm sure. When you go out, what's a, uh, what's a hot spot in Nashville? What's a, one of your favorite spots for dinner now? I always like going to, um, I mean, uh, for lunch, I've always liked Pinewood Social. Um, you know, I like folk a lot for dinner in East Nashville. Love John folk. Yeah, don't get that. over there enough. Yeah. I think it's a good, I think it's a great bang for the buck. Good value. Good value. Great vibe. Yeah. Uh, men, yeah. uh, I've never, I've never eaten uh, a kohlrabi, but I think they make a Caesar out of kohlrabi or yeah. something. And it's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. Those, those kind yeah. of come to mind. And then I like some of these staples that we have, like, you know, I, I don't get to Arnold's enough, but I think Arnold's is you know, one of the city's gems, obviously. So. Our little meet and three on 8th forever. Yeah. It's 
been just tremendous. What's uh, let me follow this up too with the what, what's uh, what's one of you got a favorite comedian or two that's out? Do you still do you follow comedy or you know, I don't, which is interesting. I mean, you would think that I would, but I just I just haven't. I mean, I think I find uh, it takes funny. time. I just find you're raising my, kids, you're running a business, two I, businesses. I find myself like, yeah, to your point, I find myself like too busy to, sure. to follow comedians right now. I'm on the Instagram and the Facebook sometimes, and they'll always have comedians pop up and you'll get 10, 15, I 20 down seconds that of stuff. Hole. Oh my gosh, I'll click on that stuff for John, hours. what are you doing in there? I'll watch it. Yeah, <laughs> it's Jim Gaffigan. Honey. I am watching videos, but it's Nate Bargetsy. Jim Gaffigan no, no, no. with a new bit. Leave me John's alone. watching like naked women smoke cigars. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. Next segment. <laughs> you got to wear shades. So, Tim, we like to uh, keep this motivational, inspirational, Nashville-centric here on this podcast. Joe and I have, I don't know, 40, 50 years of broadcast experience. That's how we we uh, started this whole thing, uh, because the world needed another podcast. <laughs> uh, what would be, uh, you know, there's a lot to hell in a handbasket Nashville-wise. You, you've started a business, uh, which is tough to do. Uh, but why would you, with the new Nashville losing its soul and all that, give us give us a day brightener? What 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 do you see? You're a Nashville native, and I you know I should have known that. I thought you're a SoCal guy and you moved here early, but no. no, you've been here. So so what do you see about this this city? Well, I think even though there's a lot of growth in Nashville, and then if you if you stay here for you know a while and don't travel around to see other cities for a perspective, you can get a little bit kind of uh, um, how should we say it jaded, maybe or yeah, jaded or a bit overwhelmed mm -hmm. or a bit disappointed with how things are are growing. But I'll say this: after this past year, I visited a lot of different cities. I think Nashville is a great city still. You know, we have a lot to be optimistic and thankful about. Um, I mean, you know, the economy in the city is great. Uh, the unemployment is low. I mean, you have a lot of opportunity here, a lot of people moving here. I think that the diversity component of it is, is you know, gotten really good. Um, you know, the, it's comparative to some of the larger cities, like a, a really easy city climate-wise, it's good. I mean, it's easy to, to travel out of and back into. So I think there's good a lot airport, to be yeah. optimist, optimistic about. And I think there's some things that we can... Improve. I mean, my mom being an education background, um, you know, we always talk about how do you improve public education in Davidson County. And, uh, you know, instead of, you know, my father would always say, talk is cheap, you know, action. And I mean, it could be hard, you know, because you're it's you're moving kind of a massive ship. It but is. It is. The, the, the metropolitan uh, uh, educational system here is is a beast. It's I think it's one point three billion dollars. It's 46 yeah. percent of of your tax revenue. Uh, it's it uh, and it feels too. You know, they say it's too big to fail. It it's failing. Yeah. And it, bo and it bothers me. And I know it bothers you. Well, I think that you need, you, you know, you need a fresh approach and you might need fresh ideas. And, you know, one of the things you got to look at uh, what's working in other markets. And then just replicating it and, uh, you know, molding it a bit for it to work in your market. I mean, that's that's how I look at things. I mean, sometimes for inspiration, for example, for whether it's cigars or an art center, you go and you visit the ones, if it's an art center that are working, and you ask them questions. And usually, the, usually they're pretty open to it because they want you to be successful with your art center, for example, in your city. Because you're not going to be competing with them, really, for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, 
donors? Probably not, you know, because if I'm not going to be competing necessarily with a donor that might be, you know, across the country, you know what I mean? In a different city, and even same thing with cigars, you know, we might look for inspiration outside of the cigar industry in another industry that might be similar, whether it's, you know, you know, spirits, for example. Mm -hmm. So how can folks get your cigars? Someone hears this anywhere in the country. What's the, how can they hone in on? Buy, well, there are a few cigars? different, there are a few different ways. I love supporting our local retailers. So I would probably encourage them to do that first. And there's a lot of local retailers, fortunately in Nashville that have them. I mean, off the top of my head, there's, if you live in, in Nashville, there's like Nashville cigar in Green Hills. There's, there's Bellmead cigar, um, Bellmead cigar in, in West Nashville. There's Smokers Abbey in East Nashville. There's um, uh, uh, Papa Peas, which is in Cool Springs Wine and Spirits. There's uh, Franklin Cigars. There's a lot of different options that you can get cigar, cigars from locally. And then online, you know, if you Google them, you, I'm sure you could find them with some online retailers like, you know, Neptune Cigar or JR Cigars. And it's titled Oz Family Cigars. Oz Family Cigars. And the blend is called the Bosphorus Blend because, you know, the story of the cigar, it shows, you know, how my... Um, it shows my mother's side of the family is Turkish and has a picture of Istanbul and the, you know, the, the Bosphorus Bridge that separates Europe from Asia Minor. And then the other side shows Mount Ararat in Armenia, which is a very kind of a holy site for Armenians. And then in the middle, it shows the Statue of Liberty because they met in New York. And then the sun shines on the foothills of Tennessee, where we, you know, were born and raised and kind of developed a good life and, and, you know, built the American dream and the brand messages. If a Turk and Armenian who supposedly those cultures hate each other could be married for 55 years, we can all get along over a cigar. That's terrific. That's terrific. <laughs> my father and I, and my son, who's 22, uh, we're in Michigan where we go up in the summers and it was the after dinner cigar. My father always goes outside and fires one up. So I was out there with him and my son was out there and Kim took, my wife took a picture and was titled three, uh, three generations with an after joke, dinner yeah. smoke, and it was great. And great. Uh, it, yeah. it was fun. What uh, in closing, give us uh, how would your father uh, use your father's voice describe uh, his experience here with John and I on the second? Cup? Well, of course, you know, I know John. John is a beautiful man, and uh, I know Kano. He and I, <laughs> we have uh, lost many golf balls together, you know. And uh, I will say to Joe that, you know, Joe, there is a lot of karma because your father and my father, we were like ships passing in the night. Your father was coming to DuPont as I was departing. So there is a, there is karma. <laughs> your dad, your dad that's would exactly, be proud. That's exactly is, what he would I wanna, say. I want to. I'm on, on the support exactly train for this say. show. Uh, Osinger on Fox. Uh, it, it could be a Saturday <laughs> night show, and it's excellent. It's good stuff. I think it's good stuff. <laughs> hey Tim, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy, and thanks for coming thanks, out, man. I appreciate thanks, it. Man. I appreciate All right, it. on the second cup of Joe and John. It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.